Mayday, Mayday. This is a call to all you educators out there. It's time to shift our schools. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools podcast, episode two, How Does Making Connections Affect Learning? Welcome, everybody. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday night. Uh, I'm Jeff Yudick here in Shanghai, and joining me tonight, we have David Carpenter from LessonsLearn.edublogs.org, Julie Lindsay from 123elearning.blogspot.com, Justin Medved from Medology.edublogs.org, and Kim Cafino was with us in take one that didn't record, but is not feeling well, so dropped up, but you, uh, dropped off, so... But uh, you can get her blog at mscafino.edublogs.org. So I plugged her. Justin, you heard it. So uh, <laughs> you can pass that on to her. How, are you, how is everybody tonight? Good, thanks. Good, good, thanks. Hi from Qatar. Hi from Bangkok. And hello from uh, Taiwan. And just to let folks know, I'll put all the uh, blog URLs in our show notes. Perfect, perfect. Well, tonight's essential question is how does making connections affect learning? And I'm, I'm so glad that Justin and Julie were able to join us tonight because uh, that's really what this is about is having conversations. And, uh, you know, you st- or Skype has become such a huge part of the conversation. This will actually be the fifth uh, Skype call that I've been involved with tonight. And when we talk about how, do, you know, how does making connections uh, affect learning, I was part of a open PD session early this morning with Darren Draper. I then talked with some people from Iricos in Manila, talked with some educators in Canada, and now tonight with Qatar, Taiwan, and Bangkok. And it's just interesting because we talk about how do you, how does making connections affect learning, and here using Skype has become such an essential tool for my learning that I don't know if I could live without it. And I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm just, I know I'm trying to think, if you were to tell teachers what's one app that you should start using today, I think Skype is one of those apps you have to add to the list. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> uh, definitely. And, uh, and we, yes, yeah, definitely. And then that's and, one and, is, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Julie. So, go, no, I was going to say, I was say and, and Twitter's a close second, actually. Twitter's uh, become a, a, real, uh, a real find, a real... Uh, just it sort of gets you out there, and it sort of gets you looking at what other people are doing. And I think a day a day doesn't go by where you're you're communicating with someone around the world. And and as you say, Jeff, it's often a number of people in different locations, different conversations, and different things happening. But you sort of you're out there doing it. Yeah. So without without a doubt, and you know, as uh, instructional technologists or educational technologists and or directors of technology, that uh, we have to find that hook with our teachers and our administrators and Skype is just socially makes so much sense for our, our teachers living away from their families that's if we can show them how easy it is to connect to folks back home and then it helps us make the next uh, step towards the classroom so it, it, it definitely works yeah yeah that's right 
Well, tonight's essential question is how does making connections affect learning? And David, I'm going to let you get us started and, and talk to Julie a little bit. And uh, Justin and I can sit back and do some learning, and then we'll pipe in when uh, we feel the need. Definitely, definitely. And I, I, I'm so excited that we have Julie here, and I'm going to introduce um, her her background and some work she's done with Vicki Davis. But I just remembered I should share a, a thought or two about when I think about making connections and how it affects learning. And for me, a few years ago at my previous school, we had a, a book group, and we, we read a uh, book on brain-based learning and really got into the science of how when new information comes in, our, our uh, neurons uh, work to make connections to um, put that information in and find someplace else in our directories of our brains to connect that, inter that new information to. Um, and the more, as we know, that uh, our thoughts or ideas have connections to other thoughts and ideas, the more it's going to stick into our long-term memory. And I also have an example of uh, one of my sons at my previous school, his teacher, Mike Lambert, incredibly creative teacher. He's at Concordia now. His focus so much was on lateral thinking. He just talked about it all the time. He would try to make kids go sideways with their thinking and put them in whole new situations where they had to take their previous learning and adapt it uh, to come to some new thinking, some creative thinking. So when I think of how does making connections affect learning, I start with the brain, and then I jump to the learning theory of cooperative learning that's been around so long and documented that it really supports learning. And then, as we are today in our Learning 2.0 world, that that we're forming these learning communities that have been there all along, but what we're realizing is they can really expand beyond our classroom. And that's where Julie comes in. And we would like to uh, hear a little bit more about her telecollaborative efforts that she's been working with Vicki Davis. Um, and she and Vicki wrote a, an article for Learning and Leading that described their first uh, program dealing with the Flat Classroom Project. And since then, they've had a second. And it looks like it's going to go on. So, Julie, could you tell us a little bit about your experiences um, making connections for learning? Sure. Uh, well, the first Flat Classroom Project was uh, included just two schools, my school in Bangladesh and Vicky School in Camilla, Georgia. Uh, and this is all, you can all find this information from flatclassroomproject.wikispaces.com. Uh, if you go there, of course, you will see our second flat classroom project, which was just in the last uh, semester at the end of 2007. And that included um, or involved seven classrooms from around the world. Uh, and that, uh, there's a link from that, of course, to our archived 2006 project. We don't want to lose anything. We've, we've actually archived it on a different URL and put a link there. And in between, sandwiched in between those two, in the um, March-April semester, we did what was called the Horizon Project, and that involved five classrooms uh, around the world, once again, <laughs> globally, and that was based on the Horizon Report, which is put out by the uh, Educores and the New, New Media Consortium every year. So the, uh, the Flat Classroom Project, of course, is, is based on Thomas Friedman's book, The World is Flat. So we look at the, uh, the 10 flatteners and the concepts that are the flattening the world, the IT-related concepts. And uh, the Horizon Report looks at the emerging technologies um, 
that are going to sort of make an impact in the next one, two to five years. And the uh, Horizon Report 2008 just uh, just hit my uh, computer this morning. It's uh, just been officially released. And uh, so we're now planning our 2008 Horizon project for March, April-ish sort of. And the, uh, the projects themselves uh, are quite demanding in that they expect you know students to be communicating communicating and collaborating and sharing resources and in fact sharing video files so that they can create their own personal video that has some part of it outsourced uh, and that's that's sort of the, the project in a nutshell uh, but it is a, a fairly intense three to four weeks of um, online communication and uh, using web 2.0 tools and uh, producing content uh, etc. Over to well, you. <laughs> if I could uh, jump in real quick, Julie. One thing that uh, I get a lot from teachers is, you know, this stuff is all cool, but where does it fit in the curriculum? And you <laughs> talk about this this time in uh, the Flat Classroom Project. You had schools from around the world join you. And can you kind of maybe talk about, you know, for each school, it kind of fit into a different class or a different teacher used it in a different way and can you maybe talk about how how teachers brought it into their school and into their classrooms sure that's a great question actually because we're all so different um, this year for, uh, this second project I ran it with my grade 10 class in Qatar and um, I only I only saw them twice a week it was an it was a real struggle but you know how determined I am to do things <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, I did it. Uh, the one before that I ran with my grade 11 ITGS class, which was uh, um, a lot easier in terms of I saw them more often. Uh, your colleague in Shanghai, of course, Jeff uh, Simon May, was with us with, for the second, uh, the, the just gone flat classroom project, and he ran it with his ITGS class, uh, an IB subject, uh, and they did a great job. So he fitted it in there. Um, we had uh, Barbara Stefanics in Austria, Vienna. She ran it with a grade 8 class this time. Um, which was interesting. Um, John Turner in Melbourne, he had grade 10s. He just squeezed it into his curriculum. He was a bit stretched as well. Uh, we had, um, Vicky was grade 10 class. We had an interesting class from um, Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Community High School for the Arts or something. Uh, they have some, some of the famous actors that we know have come out of that school apparently in that area of the world. And they, she had a cross-age group. It was such an interesting class, and I was so glad they were part of the project. She had, like, from 14-year-olds up to 18-year-olds, and they used to meet every afternoon or something wonderful like that. I just wish I had my class every afternoon. Um, and then we had another classroom from St. Louis. Um, the, I think that was a grade 11 class once again. Uh, but, yes, it, we're all different, and we're all trying to squeeze it into our curriculum. I mean, I, I walked into my school, you know, new, new this year, and... Um, I was I was handed the curriculum, and they said, oh, "Oh, grade ten, you have to teach Adobe Premiere." And I said, "What? I, said, I don't teach software. Sorry. <laughs> um, I don't. No, you have to teach Adobe Premiere. Oops. Oh, well. Um, okay. Oh, we'll do a flat classroom project. That'll include Premiere. That's fine. So mm -hmm. as it turned out, uh, not many of the kids actually opened up Adobe Premiere, and it was all a bit of a shock to my students because they said, "Oh, you know, Mrs. Lindsay." This is not like what IT was like last year. Last year we sat and learnt software <laughs> and we did right. it bit by bit and, and the teacher would say, now open that file, now go to this bit. I said, oh, we don't teach like that anymore. So, um, so it was quite a learning curve for, for these students as well. 
You know, it's interesting, Jeff, you just talked about curriculum and you mentioned it as well. And, and that's something we've been kind of trying to infuse here at ISB. At what point do we make this part of the curriculum? And that's something that I've been really trying to work towards. And we're just looking at your blog, David, right now and, and using the understanding by design model and a kind of the essential questions framework. We've, we've come up with basically three essential questions um, that we want to be at the core of our curriculum that runs alongside all the rest of the curriculum and they are how do I find and use information to construct meaning and solve problems how do I effectively communicate and then the one that I think applies to tonight is how do I responsibly use information and communication to positively contribute to my world and I think that's what really we're talking about tonight is what when you're making a why do we make connections it's because we realize that beyond our schools there are bigger problems that exist and that if we want to empower our students to be part of those solutions for tomorrow, we need them to be reaching out to cultures that they don't have experiences with, to other perspectives, to other people. And we need to, we need to build a culture of collaboration and collaborators in our schools so that these students that are in classrooms, are in classrooms now can move on to the world tomorrow and, and help us deal with some of these big things that we need to deal with. And um, I, that's what we're kind of working towards. Uh, we've got a kind of map of, of three circles that we're, that we're looking to try and use as a framework. And when our students leave, we want them to be effective learners, effective communicators, and effective collaborators. And I think that kind of falls under the umbrella of what we're talking about tonight, which is why, are, why is making connections important? That's great, Justin. That's so good. Yes. That, that pretty much covers it all. We could probably finish now, Jeff. <laughs> well, thank you, Justin. That's a wrap. And, uh, if you want to learn more about it, you can visit our uh, wiki. It's called uh, newliteracy.wikispaces.com, and that's kind of the framework. Uh, we've got a bunch of schools working towards it, and that's where all the information is. And, uh, yeah. But, I mean, I think we're all struggling on the same, on the same yeah. road. It's like, yeah. how, do you, yeah. how do you make this not just something else, but something that runs alongside everything we already mm. do? And what, Julie, uh, what's the feedback you've got from, from students? You've done this twice now. Yeah. And what kind of feedback are you getting back from, Sarah, from students as far as making right. connections and learning in this new way? Yes. Oh, look, absolutely positive from, from most students, put it that way. I mean, some are still a bit sort of unsure. But, uh, I mean, my students in Bangladesh who, are, who aren't there, who I aren't with anymore, they're, they're, they keep emailing and, you know, well, not emailing, they don't email, they ch we chat right. um, and saying, oh, I wish, wish you were here and we're not doing anything. It's really boring this year. And, oh, and they just loved it. They just lapped it up. And the, the students in Qatar, you know, are so nervous because it's the Middle East. And I was just so – but, you know, they, they've loved it and they, they've coped – with it so well and they, they weren't blogging they weren't using they weren't doing anything when I walked in in August yeah. and they're doing it all now um, and uh, you know some of them are still well I mean yeah, of course some of them are you know, I can't have my picture online that's fine you don't have to have your picture online you don't have to do this you don't have to do that but you do have to communicate and you do have to be um, creative and you do have to uh, um, you know work through these, this, these uh, project uh, guidelines and and Make make a difference to the world. That's why I liked what you said, Justin. You know, this is this is all about making a difference to the world. Now, whether it's just your immediate world or whether it actually is, uh, you know, you'd start to touch somebody on the other side of the world and make a difference to them. Um, you know, this this is so important that people realise that this this is possible and this is exciting. It's what is exciting about this type of project. Yeah. 
Yeah, what I love about your project, sorry, Julie, is that it, you're transcending continents and that these kids, uh, not only they're collaborating around whatever the project is, but then they're also having these other conversations. And who knows what happens from there? Who knows you know, where the connections lead? And, and that's why I think they find it so powerful and are just drawn to it. I'm surprised they haven't started like a Facebook group that is, you know, I was part I'm sure of they a have. black classroom project. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, Julie, let, let, me, let me jump in with a, a question that ties those two things together. One was in reading this article and learning and leading and how to structure. We talk so much about student-centered classrooms, and we want to let them follow their interest and empower our students. But we also know we have to teach them how to do that and do it responsibly and give them the structure, the scaffolding to do that. But on the other hand, just as Justin was saying, we need to also open it up um, and allow students to, to leave and go leave in different go directions. Direction. Who knows what they're going to come up with? It's a really a balancing act. I think, and I'm and just in looking at this article, it seems like that first year you went through a lot of learning on how to structure this to, to really communicate to the students what their responsibilities were um, and to hold them to some accountability. But there's also the, the point that you also want this to be open-ended and see what, what kind of learning they construct for themselves. So what were some lessons yes. that you picked up? Yes, that's... That's a good point. Um, yeah, we, we, yes, the, the scaffolding is so important because you need to you need to set the guidelines, and this this needs to be a structured program. And, and you know, um, you know, the, the issues we've worked through are, are largely to do with communication um, and uh, understanding someone else from the other side of the world, and communicating and connecting often enough to keep fostering that understanding. And we've worked through a number of issues uh, with this uh, from all of the projects where. You know, oh, I haven't heard from my partner. I don't know what they're doing. I said, well, well, have you messaged them? Have you, you know? And we we used the Ning for the last project. We had great success with with the Ning uh, so, uh, software online. And um, oh no, I'm waiting to hear from them. Well, no, no, you don't wait. You keep messaging them, and you've perhaps messaged someone else in their class and see what's maybe they're ill. Maybe you know, message their teacher. And the, the other flattening thing, of course, about these projects is teachers and students are on the same level. I mean, I don't care how many of the students message me or you know get in contact with me. I, there is no hierarchy here. We're all we're all in the same boat, um, and that's where there are high expectations for teachers to actually come in and, and you know, talk to other to students in other people's classes. You don't not just with your own class. So that's all part of the the communication expectation as well. That you uh, you know, if you see something not right online, you uh, you can talk to um, to that student as though um, they were in your class as well. Um, wow. So just um, um, you know, well, that that sort of you know, sort of a, an unwritten type of... Well, we're actually starting to write it down now, I think, in terms of expectations of teachers who are going to run this project uh, with us because it's uh, there, there's nothing worse than not hearing from somebody. Right. <laughs> and uh, and you, you just can't, you can't move forward until, until you do have those sort of things uh, sorted out. Um, you know, but, yes, yeah, but part of go this, on. Yeah. It's part of this, you know... Um, I was just thinking, you know, I, in episode to take one that didn't get recorded. I talked about uh, my use of Skype just today where I was able to learn from 10 different people around the world as part of my day at school. And is part of these 
connections that we're helping kids to foster within the educational, what do you call it, school day. Um, do you think part of that is also teaching them that, you know, in this new connected world, you can learn from anybody, anywhere that you want, anytime. And how is that going to change as our students continue to move through the educational process and head to universities where places like MIT already have open course, where uh, Yale has just started putting all uh, some of their courses online. You already have the iTunes University. And how does doing projects like this that are global and teach kids about connections and teach kids about learning and like you said, Julie, not to sit back and wait for somebody to email you, but you need to go out and make those connections. You know, people aren't going to just come to you and say, oh, let's chat. You've got to be in these spaces. You've got to be in Twitter. You've got to be blogging. And you don't have to be blogging to be blogging as much as you need to be there. Otherwise, you're not open to create those those connections. And I think that's something where, where Ning has become so powerful for teachers and I, again, for like you said, the students, because it's a it creates that community that allows you to start creating those connections that opens you up to learning. Yeah, I mean, you, you're talking about ubiquitous learning, really, aren't you? I mean, and you're talking about people being proactive and being good at solving problems. And this is this is what we want students to be able to do. So what we this is what we want everyone to be able to do. But I mean, get, get them while they're young, basically. Um, and I mean, I'm just looking or thinking about some of these. Um, you know, I'm in an IBO school, so some of these learner profile words that we use, like a, a risk taker, an inquirer, a, a communicator, uh, reflective. I mean, we want we want people to be out there sourcing the information that they need uh, out into the real world knowing where to find it, evaluating it, uh, taking a risk maybe at, at getting it by approaching people they don't even know, saying, well, look, you're there, you're, you've just written this book, tell me about it. Um, and, uh, you know, having the, the tech tools to support being able to do that. I mean, it's just, it's just, there are just so many fantastic opportunities out there for people uh, rather than sitting at a desk and <laughs> flicking through a textbook. You know? That's right. You'll have quite, quite a lot of, actually. But, but, and uh, not that we're preparing our kids just for the workforce, but all those skills that you, you mentioned are the ones that are the, the most sought after. Is basically the initiative, the problem solver. That's time and time again. That's what you read is what's valued. It's not about do you really, have you had experience in the job before? You can learn anything. But to learn and relearn and be able to solve problems and, like you said, reach out to a network to find an answer that you don't know, you know, the question to. Um, yeah, that's correct. That's, that's, the, that's the skill that, that everyone is looking for. Yeah, yeah definitely. It is. And to be able to, um, and, and this it takes, all takes practice. Yes, it does, and, and it, it does. That's that's right. And this, and to move towards those higher order sort of thinking skills, and to be able to do it in real time verbally, like we're doing it now, is also a challenge. Uh, you know, to be able to think think on our feet um, to a large extent, and to put the students in that situation. Uh, I was in um, the um, Carl Fish has been doing some uh, fishbowl blogging uh, over these few weeks. I don't know if you've caught up with some of those blogs. Uh, where she's got uh, students who are, are blogging and discussing um, Daniel Pink's A Whole New Mind, and he brought in some, he's bringing in some outside educators to 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 uh, blog and, and talk, and 
it's just it's just an amazing sort of process. It's actually starting to put structure to blogging. So you say to your class, well, okay, well, come on, let's blog about this. But to actually have an inner circle and an outer circle and some people talking and some people blogging, and I, was, I was just fascinated by the whole process that, that Carl is, is experimenting with at the moment. Um, and we, you, you, know, you could do that on an international basis. He had just sort of one classroom with just a few in, you know, remote people coming in. But, but uh, you know, to, to work through some of these systems or some of these uh, structures uh, is is really interesting, and that's what you know what we're we're doing. Some of us just to to see what works and what doesn't work. And it's interesting, like just some of the things you're talking about. It's I guess in education, to what extent do we value reflection and process? You know, like, and then not just saying it. Oh, you know, process and reflection they're important, but really, like, do we value it or not? Because some of the things you're talking about is allowing time for that to happen, not just hand it in and check it off, but rather let's look at what types of thinking we've gone through and reflect on some of the learning we've done and then go back and share that and talk about it. Like, cause that's how we learn by going back and revisiting our mistakes. And are we really allowing, like some of the things you're doing, Julie, have allowed for that, you know? Mm, mm. That's right. Well, reflection is, is part of what, what we're doing. And we, you know, we ask the students and the teachers, we've actually been spending a bit of time in, in Illuminate showcasing and ref and reflecting, not just showcasing, but reflecting on what we've done and where we want to go with this. And it's so important. And it's so, you know, in the everyday run and mill of a school, you don't get enough time for this, um, which is uh, which is sad because yeah. everyone's running from here to there. Yeah. And we need to take time to do this, absolutely. Well, and I don't think it's so much, I mean, we need to take time, but we need to create the time. And I'm not saying, yeah, to, right. you know, make a longer yeah. school day, but we have X amount of time and we need to understand that these are the things that are important and create the time in our classrooms and in our schools for, for reflection. I mean, deep reflection, like Justin was saying. Uh, two, two bullet points that I put down were, you know, one thing that this creates when we put kids online and we put them in places like the Flat Classroom Project or what Carl Fish is doing, which is fantastic, and we need to make sure we put that link in our show notes. Yeah, it's is, great. Uh, yeah, is, you know, we create this sense of an authentic audience, and how much does that in, uh, uh, engage our kids in the learning process? You know, that's number one. And the second thing I wrote down was, you know, students understand the power of connections in their social lives. And they understand it socially. That's where they're at. That's how they communicate. That's where their friends are. And what we need to do is teach them how to use those same connections for learning. And the thing I have found is, is they know how to make the connections. They don't know how to learn with those connections. And that's what's the cool thing about, you know, the Flat Classroom Project and all these projects that are going on. The kids already know how to use the social network. They already know how to chat. They already know how to write in an online world. They don't know how to do it to learn. They only know how to do it as part of their social lives. And so I think one thing we need to remember is the kids have the skills to use the tools. They don't know how to use the tools to create learning moments. That's right. Mm. Yeah, and to, and to move beyond obstacles. You know, they can create a, a, a group around going out in the evening, but as soon as you put an obstacle that involves taking some people, sourcing some information and solving a problem, that's where they need guidance, that's where they need practice, and that's where they need to be shown uh, examples, and they need to be have their hands held a little bit to give them a, bit, a little bit of practice in, the, in, in going down that road. 
Hmm. Well, um, let me uh, let me jump in. Uh, going back a little bit, kind of maybe tying some of this together. Such excellent ideas is our overall essential question for this podcast series: is how do we uh, shift our schools? And as Justin brought up, you come up with what are your essential understandings that you want to work towards. And one of the things that I, I wrote about recently was going back and looking at our mission statements and looking at them closely and saying, are they set up for where we're headed to right now? Because how many of them were written 10 years ago, 7 years ago? And what we're in, in generally talking about are these 21st century skills that have been out and published uh, that are not difficult to sell to folks. Um, and so if we start with the end in mind and, and use the UBD process and sit down in our communities and talk about all right, if, do, do we believe in these outcomes? And as parents, I'm sure that the parents are going to say, yes, that makes a lot of sense. That's what we want our kids to have. And from, if we start from there and then start the redesigning what we're doing with our curriculum, I think that's one of the steps that's going to help us make the, make the shift towards this type of learning where it is one large learning community, as, as Julie pointed out, that the students and teachers are on the same boat together. So that's that's something I'll throw in there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this this whole discussion about shifting, but there's there's just no alternative. I mean, schools have to shift, and they have to become relevant. And, um, and if you look, if I can just share some experiences of uh, things that are happening here in in Qatar. I mean, the uh, the whole uh, Qatar education department, sort of the government sector, are just bringing in this amazing shift in education and uh, you know they're paying for it they're bringing experts in there's a lot of expats here at the moment and there's a lot of people coming in I just went to a school uh, the other day that are rolling out a tablet PC program for grade 7 that's a, it's a boys school and I've already rolled it out to the, the girls school this is ICT Qatar and you know, I thought, oh, it'll be you know, it'll be really traditional curriculum. But you know, I got there, and they're they're experimenting with um, with teacher to student chatting. They're experimenting with uh, creating their own uh, curriculum using learning objects. And you know, they're they're just rolling this stuff out, and it's just uh, it's just amazing uh, what's happening. And and they they're trying to bring the you know somewhere like here, of course, you can you can pick the best of what's happening around the world and bring it in and just sort of miss miss a few decades along the way and just say, well, this is what we're doing, and off off they go. <laughs> so, wow. Um, and that's uh, and of course uh, you know Qatar Academy here, we're we're trying to to move into this whole frame of mind of shift and uh, we are putting time and effort into this and uh, we, we had, uh, I must say, we had a really good uh, session today. It was it was at the start of a whole series of meetings that we're going to be having, a team meetings on computing and online learning and, and just um, just talking about fostering a change, a shift within the school and uh, uh, we've, we've adopted wiki spaces. We've actually, uh, you know, we're, we're creating wikis all over the place because we've paid for a, a premium site and uh, we've adopted a, a Ning as a social, as a staff development uh, networking program. And, you know, it's just encouraging people to actually use these tools and to create conversations. And um, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. You know, what's, what's so interesting is how you can do so much with so little money. Like, you talk about creating a Ning site for your school. Well, mm. it's free. Mm. If you want to take the ads off it, it costs you like 24 bucks a month. I mean, mm. where, where else are you going to be able to find a social network 
or anything technology-wise that your whole school can use that just works, that you don't have to worry about the server, you don't have to worry about the upgrades for $24 a month. And, you know, trying to get schools to wrap their heads around this, you know, you know, you can have all the free wikis. Yeah, but if you want that little extra, you know, your own domain name, no ads, it's going to cost you nineteen ninety five a month. And that in the huge realm of what you get for that in education is such a minimal part of money. You know what, Jeff, what you're, what you're talking about, though, is, is really about having someone in-house – who is an expert at vetting that and knowing that, right? Because yeah. there, there are many people who just aren't paying attention just because that's not in their sphere of normal. You know, they're just not reading those things and they don't even, it's not even maybe the avenue of professional development they're looking at. Maybe they're just doing the traditional journals like they always did. And I think it's a recognition that there's someone needs to be, it's a teacher and they need to be in a role that of distilling all the tools and finding one that's right and affordable and because there's so many and yeah. picking a few and just committing to them yeah. because I think what a lot of teachers find is that they're just there's just too many and they haven't no, no, there hasn't been one person saying hey dismiss it all here are the three best for you and this is what we're going to do yeah yeah you're right and I, and I guess that's part of what we're all trying to do right is you've got to spread this love uh, far enough that there are people in schools that can come in and say, look, we're going to use this year, we're going to use this, this, and this, and whatever that is, you know, and it's going to cost us 200 bucks for the whole year, and everybody's going to have, you know, we're going to have a Ning site, and every teacher's going to have a blog, and we're going to create forums, and we're going to create groups, and we're going to do this, that, and the other thing, and we're just going to do it. But you're right. I mean, somebody has to know that that stuff's out there. And at this point, I just... You know, we're talking to four of us in four different schools out of how many international schools in Asia. Right. Mm. I think I think one of the problems is with this. I mean, as you say, we, we we need the specialists in the school to sort of be studying this and working out what's the best thing at the time. I think what worries some teachers is that it changes from year to year. You know, like oh, well, you were using Azure Spaces last year. Oh no, you're using something else this year. Oh, well, I can't keep up with that. And and I think you know because we are a little bit more on the geeky side because we are the specialists in the school, so to speak. Even though we are, you know, just pretend. Uh, Generally, just you know, interdisciplinary educators. Um, we, we 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 try. We need to be try not to be so intimidating to people. I, you know, I, I worry about this a lot because, you know, well, two years ago you were using this, and what if I start something on a wiki and then you tell me I have to use something else next year? That means I've got to change it all, and and it is a worry because I mean I change things all the time, and that, right. but I'm used to that. Yeah. But I think you know the the average teacher wants that. They want something they can hang their hat on for the next five years and not not be bothered. You know, if they want to set up a wiki, just let me have it for five years. Or, yeah. But you know. I don't know, that's not really reasonable. Nothing lasts for five years, or does it now? Will the wiki last for five years? I don't know. I don't know. Or will it next year in five years? We don't know, right. do we? Well, no. I mean, I think wikis will be here, but will wiki spaces be the wiki that everybody's going to? I mean, my yeah, teacher right. jumped on WebPaint. You know, WebPaint just mm, all of a sudden yes. in our school took off. And I like I thought we had four or five teachers using WebPaint, and I put out a call to see how many. We had like 38 sites on WebPaint. And then, of course, it gets blocked by the Chinese government, and it just shut my teachers oh. down. You know, I mean, we had some, oh. of the, some of the best educational wikis on WebPaint, and they were making the front page with the most updates, the most looked at, the most viewed pages. Kids were getting really into it. Everybody was going. It gets blocked by China and just took the wind out of everything. 
And again, oh. you know, it was that you had to start over. But and, 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 and even though they're like Wikispaces isn't blocked here, people didn't want to start over. You know, they're like, oh god, I gotta do this. All the kids have to mm-hmm. sign up. Got to do all that again. And you're right, but. You know, wikis are probably going to be here five years from now, but we need to realize that it, that technology is moving so fast that it might not be wiki spaces, and it's okay to leave wiki spaces and go somewhere else. And you're right, that is a tough switch, I think, for educators. You know, we like our classroom that we teach in for 35 years and we retire. Four years ago, I started. I just put a whole digital portfolio curriculum up on school blogs, and then school blogs just disappeared. So, yeah. so that's uh, that's all gone. I mean, I mean, I can resurrect it from bits and pieces, but but I think you just have to learn how to cope with that, or or have you know so many backups that you're going crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, but let me um, let me interject. What I yeah. what I think is going to happen, and this is going to be one of our later shows. And uh, Jeff, you put together your educational technology plan there for Shanghai, I, I think it so much comes back to your school portal and whether someone commercially comes up with it or you get like at a Hong Kong International School where they in-house developed a portal system that had the electronic portfolio. Uh-oh. Did we lose him? Oh, we lost him, yeah. Oh, that wasn't good. Who's going there? Yeah, I, I think he's right, though. I mean... Are you, Julie, I'll ask both of you, Julie and Justin, are you, well, let's start with Julie. Are you creating something in-house that, or are trying to put some tools together to create an educational port hall for your school, housed at your school for kids? Or are you right now just looking to outsource everything to Ning and Wikispaces and everything else like that? Yeah, this is uh, fairly contentious at the moment at our school. Uh, in terms of the staff development, in terms of curriculum pages, we're going with Wikispaces and Ning, uh, and I'm using Blogger, and there are some other, um, I think they're using Edublogs as well. Um, in terms of a school portal, we have, so we're sitting right on Education City, which is um, Qatar Foundation, which is bigger than, than us, and they have a portal, we're trying to get bits of that and use it, or else we're looking at something else. We're, we're not quite sure what we're... Uh, we're looking at a, an interesting one at the moment, EDUVO, it's called, E-D-U-V-O, which is actually uh, designed for IB schools, and it, uh, it does some really interesting things as a portal. So we're not sure. I mean, we uh, Qatar Foundation said, oh, get Microsoft to come in and do some consulting, and, and it'll cost you $5,000 just for an envisioning exercise. And, and we said, oh, no, thank you. You know, We'd rather spend $5,000 on another laptop <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rather, right. than a, rather than give it to yeah. Microsoft. So uh, we're, we're going round and, and round on that one at the moment. What about so you, Justin? That's our story. Yeah, we're our content management system is we've got someone from the outside and we're building our own and we're using the Moodle framework. We decided we kind of weighed Blackboard, we weighed uh, a bunch of different ones, and we decided that we were going to pay someone to build what we want, leveraging, I guess, something you know, the open source and hoping um, that that you know given that there's pretty much a, a nice critical mass of, of Moodle users out there, and we would kind of be a part of that. But we basically paid someone to be our guy, uh, yeah. to build our Moodle site the way we want it, and and that's going to be rolled out next year. And then, you know, you got the kind of the information piece. Your tech plan talked about it, which is kind of a parent portal. And we've got our – we've got um, PowerSchool, which we're – 
starting to use for educational purposes as well, and that's you know a big database for school management. And but then we also want to have that capture a bunch of anecdotal student information that we can use in goal setting and things like that. And hopefully that can be communicate. We're going to build that in so it communicates with Moodle in some way, and so that you know, I mean, we were talking about this today. In some ways, because there's so many tools out there and they're all a bit different, they don't talk to each other. Right. What you really want is like this three-dimensional cube of data in the middle of your school and then a whole bunch of tools around it that all speak to it. Uh-huh. And, and I'll talk to it. And then you can just, if the data is there, then you don't have to worry about anything else. You can just play with the front end and how things look and how user-friendly they are. But at the core of what makes school tick and run well is how well do all those systems talk to each other. And uh, from the library card to the student photo to the illness report to the attendance, you know, and um, and how it all relates to learning um, in content, all those things. So we're we're basically... We've gone and used some tools, and now for the bigger ones, we're bringing them in-house and starting to make our own. Yeah. And like David said, we're going to talk about this more in depth at a, at a later episode, uh, specifically around this. But David, do you just kind of want to talk about My Dragon Net down at Hong Kong? And I mean, I know that's what you guys have done. You guys basically built something in-house based on, I believe, Sassy, correct? They, um, I'm not sure where Justin, what his basic area of starting off i know he did it in php he from from day one just started building it out and programming it but it's the whole idea that justin was just hitting on when everyone's kind of talked about is that the technology is going to keep changing so you're going to want your portal your tool to be able to adapt and as long as you have that one password to get you in as we know that's one of the first problems when we have all these multiple uh, online sources that we're using, all these different passwords. But you have that one password, and then you're adapting it. Back to jo- Justin, you have having great comments. Julie, you as well. Um, the whole idea of it's got to com- be focused on student learning. And if you are evolving as a school and getting more into this constructivist type of learning that we're talking about, well, your uh, mechanisms have to adapt to that. And if you're buying them from all these different uh, vendors, we know that the chances of them adapting them to meet your needs are pretty slim. So I, I do think that's the way the way to go. That we we have to design it for our schools and maybe Moodle, the um, all the open source communities, just is going to keep adapting that and add an electronic portfolio aspect into it and, and a curriculum mapping tool. Boy, that would be beautiful if that happened. Yeah, yeah. And it'd be good to talk to uh, Justin when we Justin. have him online. Yeah, it'll be good. To Definitely. Talk to him, so. All right, well, it's getting late, so I want to wrap this up, if we can. Uh, we're going to finish with a blog post of the week from the Edublogosphere. And, David, do you want to go first with yours? Then I'll go. And, Julie and Justin, if you have one, you can put one in there as well. Sure. Yes, yes, that sounds great. And these are going to be on the uh, show notes. And I, we're talking so much about uh, connections. I went to the Connectivism blog and there's a nice post there comparing connectivism and constructivism. And I, I just like the whole idea that we connect um, to gather information, share information, and then we construct meaning from it. So I thought it was very applicable. Yeah. I picked one from the connectivism blog, too. I love George Siemens. Someday I've got to meet the man. If he's listening, I need to meet him. Uh, but uh, one of the posts he did was called Digital 
citizenship and the Zen of letting things unfold. And it's a, it's a great article that actually looks at uh, a couple different postings from around the edge of blogosphere and his take on them on, uh, you know, this whole notion about creating, you know, making connections, having them affect learning and being able to let things unfold once you make those connections, you know, allowing kids to run with these connections that they create and see where it takes us in the learning in the learning uh, landscape. So, Julie, do you have something? Uh, yes, I do. Now, I'd uh, like to feature um, a teacher who's here in Doha with me at the American school who I haven't met face-to-face -face as such, um, and his blog is intrepidteacher.edublogs.org, and his name is uh, Jabez Rezdan. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, we've been communicating online, and I think I might get to meet him soon. We're in the same city. I should actually get to meet him, I hope. <laughs> But uh, he's, he's out there and he's, uh, he's really excited about Web 2.0. He's got a great blog, intrepidteacher.edublogs.org. And there's a, a post he did on the 17th of January, which caught my eye in particular. He calls it the potent feature of blogging. And he talks about the fact um, how his middle school principal, who's the principal for next year, not even this year, uh, made a comment on his blog. And he's talking about the fact, you know, if we can get these administrators uh, looking at our blogs and, and starting their own blogs and, uh, you know, we could you know, get into each other's heads a bit more and just, I think it would just help things in a school so much if we just knew what each one was thinking and, and got to know each other better through our blogs. So, so I just really love his post and uh, that's him, intrepid teacher. Great, thank you. Justin? Well, just to follow up on that, Julie, I, uh, when I set up all our administrators' RSS feeds, I add yours and Jeff's on there. Uh, and David, I'll add yours too. So uh, just so you know, because I think that's for that exact same reason. You know, they need to be reading this stuff right. and they need it to be in their face yeah. uh, all the time. I'm yeah. just, uh, since Kim is sick, why don't I just give uh, Kim's uh, recent post, The Technology Toolbox, Choosing the Right Tool for the Task, um, a great little post on how do we evaluate tools and as we were talking about uh, which tool goes where and when. She puts together a nice chart uh, of, of kind of uh, aggregates all the tools into kind of uh, six categories and then has a chart that speaks to what do you need to set it up and what can what affordances do each of the tools give you and you can quickly scan it and hopefully make a decision on well if you're trying to connect students well this tool works if you're trying to capture student reflection well then this tool works and kind of gets the big picture ideas uh, awesome thank you guys I, uh, thank you, I appreciate Jeff. it and uh, because you're all in the Asia region I expect to have you get back here often because uh, this is what it's <laughs> about you know it's about having conversations like this and the more people we can get in here I mean David and I can sit here and chat back and forth and that's one thing but you know you get three or four or five people in here and you can really have a conversation bounce ideas off each other and really have a good time and that's what making connections is about and that's how it affects learning and uh, that's what this episode's about I hope you enjoyed it and until next week or actually two weeks from now let me put the plug in on February 7th, we'll be back. Clay Burrell will be here. And uh, Justin, Julie, you are more than welcome to join us if you would like. And uh, our essential question for February 7th will be passion for learning, how to nurture and grow it. And so we'll be talking about how to create passion within both teachers and students within the classroom and how do we continue that uh, through you know, large projects and in this connected world. So we'll be looking for that in two weeks. Uh, until then, thank you, and that's a wrap. Okay, bye, everyone. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, bye. And uh, thanks for... Thanks, Jeff. Uh, thanks, David. Oh, welcome. Thank you.
Take care, guys. Look forward to two weeks of Thanks, Rick. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bye for now.